kind of considering right now um, how much. Oh, kids. Kids can go. <laughs> you knew my mind was on something else. So the, I, was, I was just looking at the clock and I was sharing with Ted this morning that uh, nine verses of James might be four sermons worth of material. And so I was just sort of settling down right at the moment. And I want to just say a couple of things as we get started. Um, I have a chart up here for later on. So when I move, you'll know that that's going on. But uh, I'm going to say it this way, that um, Jesus came to earth not just to hang around, but, but he had an agenda. There was something he was trying to do. And if you want to know what that agenda is, you can turn to the book of James and read Jesus' agenda in the lives of Christians. The first thing, remember uh, two weeks ago when we started the book of James, we talked about perseverance, that you hang in there until you start to become mature, and then maturity has its work in us. And then last week, what, what's the first thing maturity starts to do is it starts to get rid of our excusing ourselves so that we take responsibility to attend to the work of Jesus. Today, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to not just be people that come to church and listen to the word of God. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Have you met that, those people that only come to church and listen, but there's nothing else in their life about God ever? I've heard that referred to in many ways. Um, my favorite one is to call is the pew potato <laughs> instead of a couch potato. But uh, I've heard one pastor refer to it as, "Don't you get it? There's no fat cells in the body of Christ." They're all supposed to be doers of the word. And so that's in the text today. Let's read that and then I will go on and, and recognize that I'm trying to be cognizant of time as much for us as for the second service that comes in after us. This is from James 1.19 and following. Understand this. First of all, not strong enough. In the Greek, you must understand this is really the strength of that. My dear brothers and sisters, you should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. I just... I'm going to say that about 16 different ways this morning, but I know that that's going to be confusing to us. But, but us getting mad about something doesn't produce either the justice that God is after. So certainly be angry when something goes wrong in the world and there's an injustice in the world and go after it. But don't be angry and think, my anger makes God's way happen. Your anger at something doesn't make God's way happen in you or in the situation. Because we're not talking about God's 
righteousness as in um, we're gonna mo- we're just gonna live the way God is. Certainly, God's behavior is the standard by which we are supposed to live. Be holy as I am holy. Now, I just raised the standard just a little bit so that you heard that right. God's behavior in the world is the standard by which we're judged, both by God and by the world. The world sees us and said, well, that doesn't act like God, and they judge us, or they didn't see that. But I want to make sure we get to this spot because there's two versions in the world of the way people see God. They see God, have you ever heard this, as the watchmaker who set it all going and just sits back and watches. God is the detached watchmaker. No. God doesn't care. God is present. God doesn't leave his world uncared for is what I meant to say. Sorry. But my tongue fixed and now my mouth doesn't work. He is presently active in all sorts of situations that would be unbearably worse without his activity. And if God is presently active, his people should also be presently active in the same ways. But our anger doesn't produce righteousness in us nor in the world. God's work produces righteousness, and God's way through Jesus does that. Now, I need to talk a little bit about righteousness and justification, okay? Um, this is a little technical, and I, and I was thinking about how I was going to draw this and how to do this without a picture, but most people sort of understand justification or God's righteousness and justice in us in this way. Here we are in the present age, And in order to come into the new age, we have to be judged right at this line and justified, justification, so that we can enter into this new world. It's not, I'm I'm just putting it up here so you can visually see this line right here is where we think justification happens. But this is not an accurate picture of the way the world is today for us. It's not. This is... This is, that is the way the Jews thought it. Matter of fact, before we get to this, most of the Jews thought that you could make this line happen faster if you just bumped off some Romans and made it happen. Right? And the Essenes, who we get the Qumran scrolls from, thought that if they just withdraw and they were the true Israel and they just acted right long enough, they could force this line to happen. You know, they would expel you if you weren't righteousness enough because you were getting in the way of this line happening. Okay? But Jesus changed the world, okay? And I need to talk to you a little bit about this. This is the picture of where we stand right now. And this pink line that was on that other one is now both sides of us. Your future has invaded your past and your present. This is what Paul says, is that we are justified by faith. 
We have entered into the new age, Paul says, because God planted his word within us, his righteousness within us, so that we could get into the new age. However, there's this other problem. We need to exit the old age, and in order to exit the old age, that justification which has been planted in us must grow and take control to full fruition within our lives. Justification. Just, right? It's not right that the unjust would enter into God's kingdom Did you understand that? It is not right that the unjust enter into God's kingdom, but in order for the unjust to enter into God's kingdom, God must put his righteousness inside them, and then that righteousness must grow to full fruition. And then the unjust don't enter, the just enter. (laughs) Does that make sense? Okay. So when you read Paul, all the Paul literature, Paul is arguing Christian faith, right? You believe in Jesus, and in that trust, you get his righteousness planted in you. But he's only arguing that 90% of the time when you see Paul arguing Christian faith versus works, he's arguing against Jewish works, which are Look at all the good things I've done. I've certainly earned God's pleasure. And he's snapping them down with the ruler. Right? He's just going, no. This happens because you're on your knees recognizing that you're humble in heart. Blessed are the humble in heart for they will be. Say that again for me. I might be way off. Inherit the earth. The humble inherit the earth. Well, who inherits the earth in the in the in the kingdom story? The children of God. Not just everybody. Who becomes in charge of the kingdom of of, who who becomes in charge of earth in the biblical story? The children of God. So he's talking Christian faith versus works trying to prove your righteousness, where James is literally talking Christian works because you've got faith in you, the work that starts happening in you, because with God, you're possible to join him in the work that's going on. Christian works are, I really love God, but that work is starting to take root in me. And he's arguing against Jewish faith, which says, look, I was born Jewish and I'm in. Or this little term down here, barren orthodoxy. Have you ever heard that term before? Just bantered around? What does barren orthodoxy mean? I'm right, and because I'm right, I get to do whatever I want, and there's no work in my life in Christ. You're right here. The major theme of Paul and James and the New Testament in general is not justification, but incorporation into Christ for every believer. And how does that happen? In James 1, verse 18, you've been born, 
reconstituted into life by the word of God. And who's the word of God? It's not just a book. It's the person who created you and redeemed you, Jesus. Reconstituted, if you will. Just like Kool-Aid is not so yummy to drink until it's been reconstituted. Have you ever tried dry Kool-Aid? I see the correct face over there. (laughs) Get it off. It's not real until it's reincorporated or reconstituted in there. And then verse 25, as we get in here, this new life grows within us because of the word. Let me continue to read here because I haven't got there yet. But this is it. Human anger doesn't produce righteousness that God desires. The righteousness that God desires is planted in you at faith and takes hold as you work alongside of him to get into the righteousness that you would be right with God. So get rid of all the filthy and evil in your lives. The picture of this filthy and evil isn't that you're thinking filthy and evil things, but you actually have some habits that are filthy and evil. And and James isn't looking around the room going, well, just you have this stuff or you have this stuff. He's looking around the room going, we've got this stuff. And one of the filthy and evil things that we do is we sit on our behinds when we should be doing something. I'm sorry. I, I feel like if... Um, Don Lang were here, he would say, I've moved from preaching to meddling. (laughs) That I'm meddling in your lives. Yes, I'm meddling in your lives for Christ because he meddles in our life by putting righteousness inside us and then we join him in that work. Here we go, more, there's more. And so... But we get rid of filthy and evil in our lives and humbly accept the word which God has planted in our hearts. I'm not making this up. This is how it happens. God has planted it in our hearts for it has the power to save our souls. What's the next step? Well, go to Colossians 2 and read Colossians 2 if you want the next step, which is let your roots grow down deep into him through the word. But it's not just roots. It's also the top half of the plant. It's the work stuff. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourselves. You're not fooling anybody else, just yourselves. Unless God's word takes root in our hearts and we become not just listeners. Have you ever been near somebody that just, you thought you were talking to them, but they were only in the vicinity. They weren't actually listening. They were nearby and your words were kind of bouncing off whatever was going on in their head. Yes, this is what this is about. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Now, there's more to this picture of just people with 
a disability in, in remembering. The whole biblical picture here is that you would look at the word of God and the word of God would show you who you are and, by that nature, who, who you're not. And you would get an accurate picture of yourself. Well, what does the accurate picture say? It says, for one thing, you need help. And the gospel is offensive. It says this, you need some help. You can't do this on your own. But if you see that in the mirror, and then you walk away and forget that you can't do it on your own, how helpful is it? <coughs> the biblical picture also says, I'm here to help. If I'm to misquote Jesus just a little bit, right? I'll just gloss his words. I'm here to help. And you look into the mirror and you see Jesus is there to help and you walk away and you forget that he's there to help. What good is it? There's more. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. Barren orthodoxy. You've met the people that are almost positive that you've got to have 16 beliefs exactly perfect or you're out. And they're more than happy to come into church and praise God, but they would never lift their hand to wash the cups in the kitchen. Have you not met that person? Or the person here that says, look, I'll wash the cups in the kitchen, but I don't want to hear any of that theology stuff. I don't want to know anything about that Jesus who's working in my life. So I started this out saying that Jesus came to earth with an agenda. And if you want to know that agenda, listen to James. I want to talk just a little bit. I got a couple of verses here that I need to throw at you in such a way so you know that I'm not just making that up. Here is John 8. As soon as it comes up. Here it is, John 8, and I am in verses 42. Jesus is in a debate. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. And I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear the words that I say? You are your father, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why don't you believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you don't hear them is you're not of God. Do you think I'm making this up? 
This is, I almost, you know, I almost cringe at delivering sermons this way. Really? We have to hear the word of God. And it has to take root inside of us and start to bloom and grow because it goes down deep and we become listeners of the word. Certainly you must become listeners of God's word. You must hear it because they were thinking, I, we have Abraham for our father. Lineologically. But they didn't do the works. They didn't do the belief. They didn't then change their lives and their understandings. And they said, look, it would be like me, okay? So I'm from the Tri-Cities, and I've talked about this a little bit. Did you know that Richland is a weird community in a lot of ways? I'm just going to say this outright. Richland didn't exist before World War II. Colville has been here a lot longer than Richland. Where I grew up, literally, if you've been there five years, you're a local. <laughs> but I know people from Walla Walla, which has been there from the early days of missionaries, that if you're not fourth generation, they don't want nothing to do with you. And they sit there and say, well, I'm a Walla Walla person. Big deal. You can trace your genealogy back 26 generations. No way. I met somebody once that said that they can trace their genealogy all the way back through Jerusalem in about the 3rd century. And I thought, wow, that town has been rubble only six or seven times since then. Where are the records? Really? It doesn't matter your genealogy or whether you're long time this or that. What matters is the word of God planted inside you. And then it becomes, becomes to take fruit and grow within you. And you start to do the things that God does, who is not a disinterested watchmaker, but is always involved in his communities. And so we grow. And we don't just sit here. I'm so happy to be here in this church. Do you know why? We have trouble getting enough people to work in the fair booth because we're manning 16 fair booths. Oh, it's, it's, an, it's an oversimplification. But, but I was there at the fair booth, and, and two of our people were in the Gideon booth. And two of our people were over there, and we got people this morning that were cooking at the Kiwanis thing, and they're involved, and they're doing the work in the community for free lunches for this thing, and 580 summer food program kids served, and, and backpacks, and, and Christmas child, and missionaries to Jordan, and, you know, he's looking for individual funders, but the church has joined into that funding. Because we believe this stuff and it's taken root within our lives. We believe this stuff. We don't just hear it, but it's grown within us in such a way that we become moved to do the same things we see God doing in our lives in other people's lives. Don't just be hearers, but doers. 
because it proves who we're from and where we're going. At this moment, the second we accept this gift of him planting within us, our former lineage doesn't matter. We now have the same genealogical representation that Jesus does at John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And you've got some other things in between because you've got parents and things like that to deal with, but you are now God's child. But God's child has to grow and become mature. And in between is all sorts of difficulties and perseverances needed. Will you pray with me? Amen. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you so much for planting stuff inside of us. Help us recognize it and grow. In your precious name, amen.